Well, that was a big turning point for me was when I realized the horror genre was like the people behind the scenes of horror movies were guys like me who were just like passionate, creative types who were essentially just problem solvers. It's like, we need to tell this story in the craziest way possible. How do we do that with no money at all? Welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lee. Stephen Kostansky is one of the most exciting directors currently working in the genre. He's one of those guys whose love and respect for genre films is absolutely infectious. He began his career like a lot of young filmmakers by rounding up his friends and picking up a camera and maybe a few gallons of fake blood and just shooting. He tells me that horror wasn't his first passion because as a kid he was just scared going into the horror section of his local video store. His love of the movies really began with fantasy films, which you can still see the influence of in the horror films he's making today. Steven is from Winnipeg, and some of you may even be familiar with the beloved film collective he co-founded, Astron 6, a collective which produced such modern cult classics as Manborg and Father's Day. Steven also has an extensive background in special effects and prosthetics, which is a big part of what's so impressive about him. He's a man of many, many talents and is clearly ready to pull up his sleeves and do whatever needs to be done to get his stories out of his head and onto the screen. The influence of iconic studios like Troma and Full Moon Entertainment, which he and I geek out about a fair bit in this interview, is all over his work. Films that capture the spirit and batshit craziness of movies like The Toxic Avengers and The Transfers series. Steven's work always demonstrates not just a filmmaker with great skill and a keen eye for the absurd, the characters you really like, so even if they are a melting, depressive biocop, you're rooting for them. His recent hit, Psycho Goreman, has made a massive impact on the genre film scene. If you haven't seen it, stop right now and go watch it, because you owe it to yourself to see one of the best genre films in recent years. Steven and I also talk about, although he's comfortable to confront heavy and hard ideas in horror films, it has to be in a thoughtful and artful way. He's not interested in wallowing in human misery. Well, except if it's a melting biocop. So, strap in, get ready to talk about hunky boys. Here we go. Steve, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Kevin? Pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I'm just uh, hanging out in my basement shop studio space. I was, yeah, I'm looking at, and like, there's interesting things behind you. Like, I'm trying to figure out all the things that I'm looking at here. Yeah, what do I got? I got... Uh, well, this guy up here is from PG. Okay. I got uh, got the fetus monster from The Void. Yeah. I got a Lulu over there. Okay. Uh, I actually think that little thing there is a set of eyes from a Boglin that I pulled out because I wanted to uh, nice. reverse engineer those little IMAX that they have. Um, and yeah, I got a. He's under a garbage bag, but I got a Mothman behind me that I'm sculpting. I had heard about Psycho Gorman when it came out, and a friend of mine said, "Oh, you you got to see it. It's 
it's like kind of a horror version of Power Rangers. That's how they presented to me, right? And I wasn't like a big Power Ranger. I was a little old by the time Power Rangers yeah. started. So I was like, nah, I'm not really a big Power Rangers guy. Then when I watched it, I was like, well, he neglected to mention that it's also The Gate and Monster Squad and Harry and the Hendersons and yeah. all these other movies I love, as well as Power Rangers. And the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... <laughs> Well, and that's a symptom, I think, of like a few of my movies where it's hard to just say that it's this plus this because it's really like this plus this plus this plus this plus this. Yeah. It's like 20 things mashed together that coalesce into one weird, unique I was sitting there watching it, Steve, and like writing down movies that it kind of feel that felt like they were influences on you maybe. And like, I came up with The Gate, Monster Squad, Harry Anderson's Wishmaster, Power Rangers, The Giver, Trauma movies, Full Moon movies. Like, it, my list was fairly long. Yeah. And I was thinking through all the things. It's like he made this fucking movie for me. It's like, I love all of those things. Now, that's, I think, part of what is magical about Psycho Gorman as a film is that it, well, it does that. And it's, it's crazy to me that it connected with people like in the way it connected with you because it really is so specific to just what I like. Right. Like it's just my, that movie is just all my tastes. Like that's all the stuff that I like in one movie. And I remember like right before it dropped like uh, for VOD and stuff like it's before it was released thinking like there's an entirely possible scenario where this just doesn't land with yeah. anybody. Right. And but being kind of okay with that because like I I was happy with the movie, like when it was done, I was like, yeah, this is like pretty good for what we had and the resources at my disposal. Like, it's one of the few times where I like I didn't really have like anxiety. I just had it was more of like just a sense of like, is this movie too weird for people? Like, is this and is the like is the flavor of this movie too offbeat for average audiences. And so it was crazy to have it come out and have people be like, Oh my God, this is just like, this is like hitting a, like scratching an itch and like pressing buttons. I didn't realize needed to be pressed. Yeah. And so it was like really like gratifying to see that happen and see that it like kind of brought part of the genre community together to realize like, Oh yeah, we all like, uh just yeah like the gate power rangers like masters of the universe it's like like 90s toy commercial totally. turned into live action totally. movie logic you know that's so harry and the hendersons to me so like that kind of you know in that case it's a sasquatch but it's like you know this family like and that's not really the tone of the movie but the fact that that artwork was there i was like i love that that's so you know the, the, the movie's that too though do you know the poster that that's ripping off? I feel like I do, and I can't like. So it's the Sinbad movie House Guest. Oh, with Phil Hartman. Uh, yeah. So just you look up that poster, and it's literally just a copy of that. I like that but, movie, uh, though. <laughs> I do. I, I don't remember anything from it. I'm sure I watched it. It's from that era where my parents, I'm sure, rented every family comedy that came out. Phil Hartman's but, really uh, funny in it. Really funny in it. That's that's another guy taken too soon that yeah, I would have loved sure. to put in something. Wasn't he brilliant? But yeah. Yeah. So he great. was the best. He uh 
All of his Simpsons characters were amazing. I mean, I, I should point out that's another thing that very much influences my movies and PG especially is like my Simpsons obsession. Your some and, of your punchlines are not even punchlines, just gags, just random lines. I felt so Simpsons to me. So I'm so glad that you commented on that because I kept thinking, I'm like, surely he's a Simpsons fan. Some of these deliveries in these lines are very Simpsons in their tone and. Well, and also, like, I've recently been watching Simpsons with the commentary. Yeah. And Matt Groening talks a lot about elastic reality and, like, the logic of the show where it's, like, it's it's based in reality, but you can fly away every once in a while right. into, like, absurd fantasy. But it all snaps back. Yeah. And snaps back to mundane. And so I felt like PG, I tried to do that a little bit where it's, like, start kind of grounded and then just gradually get more and more absurd, but always kind of come back to the family and bring it back to like, just like kind of real kind of immediate things and not go so far out there that the audience disconnects. And I think that's an important thing to remember with this kind of movie is like when to be totally bizarre and out there and when to be grounded and human and relatable. Yeah, I mean, and the, the the two kids in it, um, uh, they play Mimi and and Luke, are so wonderfully not like you know when there was that sort of syndrome. Movies are getting better, but this now, but particularly in the nineties, early thousands, there was this syndrome of like getting kids to do these adults, like mini adult type characters, and I I always hated that because it felt yeah. like, like let them be fucking kids. That's the whole point. Um, Where it's like they're smarter than the adults and more eloquent. And yeah. like, they're like yeah. hypothesizing in the corner in a shot. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm sitting there thinking of like we talked about the gate or like little monsters, the Howie Mandel monster, which I love. And like oh, you know, yeah. where kids were like kids. That's and that's what I think, you know. So I love that you kind of brought your kids back to that place. I thought that was great. Well, it was part of the inspiration for the movie was just interacting with a few kids that are uh, like in my life, like coworkers, uh, kids and uh, cousins and things. And like noticing like certain traits that are consistent in kids of a certain age where they have like, they just like operate in their own reality and they don't care what anybody thinks of them. They're just like, no, this is how it is. And I don't care. It's like, that that beautiful phase in life before you develop like self doubt and yeah like, and cynicism and all but, that stuff yeah but all, but also just like like questioning yourself and like becoming insecure like it's before insecurity sets in as a teenager right it's like what a what a wonderful time to be a human being because you just yeah. think you're hot shit all the time yeah. You're in reality is whatever you bend it into. Yeah. And so that to me seemed like an interesting starting point for a story. And just the idea of like pairing that with a cosmic being that's pure evil. It's like, it just seemed like a real fun pairing and an interesting foil yeah. to each other was like, like, cause a, like a cosmic space overlord that wants to kill everything. And it's also is like, a little bit gay. Yeah. I feel like we'll explore it more in future stuff, but it's like, yeah, it, it, he definitely goes on a journey in this movie. Like for me as a gay person, I loved that about the character that it wasn't a, a, a thing other than it's a little bit fleeting. It comes up a couple times. And that's it. I loved that. Well, and like, <laughs> 
Okay, well, that's good to hear. That makes me happy because I feel like that's how you should introduce that kind of stuff with characters. Like, it's not... Yeah, it's you know, like, like it wasn't a thing where it was. It's not like he was tortured by it or something. Like he's there's going to be some fucking you know coming out story about psycho. Yeah, man. Like, like I just like that he looks at a cute boy in a picture and goes, "Oh, maybe I do like that." That's yeah. That's all you need to do. That's it. Yeah, that's it's it. like there. It, it's he's articulated how he feels. It's part of his character now. It's not his entire character and journey. It's just one thing about him. Yeah. yeah. Like, because I, it's something I was concerned about and didn't want to be doing with the movie is like pander in the way that I feel like a lot of media does right now. I think it's like an important part of character work in a story is like it's a facet of a character, yeah, not their whole identity. That's right, and I thought it was really cool of you that you did that. I thought that was kind of neat. It made the character. I, I don't know. There's something special about the character to me now because of that. Well, it just gives him an extra layer that's interesting. And the fact that he, like, discovers it in the, like, context of the story. Yeah. I like, have, has, like, it started out as just kind of like a throwaway moment, like a Simpsons-type moment. Right. I just like the idea of, in the moment of him looking at the magazine, like, kind of wondering. I don't like hunky boys, or do I? I'm a big fan of small moments that raise big questions and big conversations. And yeah. so that was the point of that whole bit. Uh, whereas and not only like that, it's like, it's also like, it's a human that he thinks is attractive, a human man. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to like discuss after watching the movie, like just as a casual movie goer, like there's lots you want to unpack there and understand, but you don't need to get that in the movie. It's just yeah. a thing that happens. I turned to my husband life. and I was like, so is he, if being gay is defined <laughs> as being attracted to the same gender, what if you're a Martian uh, and you're attracted to human man? Is that gay or does that have to have a whole new grouping? And he was like, no, I think it's gay. He's like a gore man. And I was like, right. Yeah. But I didn't quite accept that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he can classify as gay. But he's not but, even a human being. So like, does, does he just, does his species have just binary male and female like you you know that's not clear. i mean i mean it's also like explicitly stated uh in the like ticker tape at the bottom of that news broadcast at the end that he is uh dickless so right i don't he like yeah is he gender what is he gendered as the whole point of the movie to me was like i just want this to raise questions and have audience members walk out and be like, well, that wasn't what I was expecting. What well, the fuck was going on in that movie? I love there's like, and you did some classic stuff too. Like you had the, you know, the bad guys have British accents, which is so like, that's such an inside kind of thing you notice from the eighties is for some reason, particularly in action movies, the bad guys were always British or German. Oh, yeah. Like always. <laughs> yeah. It, it was such like stupid american logic of yeah. like well you got to give them because because an american would never be a bad that's guy. right i mean it's but, essentially it's pretty it's fairly just sort of xenophobic racist kind of shit but, <laughs> but, but then it's also born out of necessity with like star wars being shot in the uk they're I casting don't that UK. i'm thinking more like how they do like you know hans gruber and Die Hard, that kind of thing where like yeah. why couldn't you have been an american why do you have to be 
something like that. I totally get like it feeling more xenophobic because McLean is painted as such a like all American hero. Mm-hmm. But to, like for, as far as where I was pulling it from specifically, it's definitely more of a Star Wars thing. Where yeah, it's just right. Like, well, because you even have the, the boring politics scenes that that are in Star Wars movies. Oh, and that is a hundred percent my like Star Wars prequels reference is like. Yeah. <laughs> remember how excited everyone was for those movies, and then how like boring they were, and just. Like, yeah, you've got all these interesting characters sitting around a table, like, just talking nonsense. Bullshit that doesn't exist or matter to anyone, yeah. I mean, I actually, I love Phantom Menace over time. I've just come to love it more because there's a lot to love. I think about the pod race, the duel, the fates, all that stuff. But but the stuff of them sitting around talking, like that scene where where Madley Portman says, I don't want to sit here while you discuss this committee. I was like, no shit. That's what we're all thinking right now. (laughs) Like I know it's amazing that they like have that whole like the Senate or whatever that whole like council scene, and it's like this super impressive space, and it's the most boring conversation. The, and, and so, kind of, no one in the scene seems interested in what they're talking about. Sam Jackson, who's a pretty energized actor, nodding off. Like those movies are always just an excuse to have characters like walking and talking or sitting like in comfortable chairs or on couches talking. And it's like, <laughs> it's so funny to me that that's what star Wars turned into for a little while. It was like big special effects to get us to that, to people just sitting. When they had that, the sort of female Yoda, Yertle or whatever the hell it is. Oh, a Yaddle, Yaddle, I think. Something like that. And I was like, this is all we're going to get to see this, this, this chick Yoda do like, this could be a fun. I liked the design even and a wonderful Jim Henson Muppet quality to it, but it, yeah. it, she didn't get to do anything. She just walked and talked. And I was like, come on, she should train someone or have a fight or something and nothing. Just cool monsters. Uh, yeah. Those movies are not very motivated by action, unfortunately, no. which, they, which you watch, like a new hope and it's very much just like set piece leading into set piece leading into meeting it's always meeting new characters doing new things in new places yeah and the prequels are like hey why don't we go back to that jedi council room again Um, we like that every time they go back to that room it's like come on enough with this like and they have all these cool actors like terrence stamp is there and then it's like you know there's there's all all the tools in the world at George Lucas' disposal to not make those scenes exist, but he still kept going back to them. That's yeah, quite well, that's why I keep watching those movies. I find them so fascinating. So do I. They're such a, they're a weird relic in film history. Yeah, that I'm so glad have become like memed into popularity. And frankly, but, compared to the new ones, they're like, oh yeah, oh miles ahead. <laughs> Like, I'll, I will 100% watch the prequels again before I watch the new trilogy. It is way more fun. Yeah. Uh, I need to talk to you about the brain. Alistair, that character, my favorite character by far. <laughs> His tortured existence. He kind of has a biocop. I love uh, him, though. He's bio- just like, he's so, first of all, he's straight out of, do you ever see the movie? I think it's called Freaked. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah. I don't, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. He's so that the design of him, he just, you know, with the little ten, tendrils and like, and he's got the eyes. And I loved when you did that bit at the end where he's at the table and the parents just don't even care that he's a little brain. Like that 
that that probably that probably was the biggest laugh for me in that movie because if you put a puppet in a scene the entertainment value for me is multiplied by like 10 yes yeah Um, you're speaking my language to me it's like you put a weird puppet that doesn't move right in a scene with people (laughs) trying to act like everything's fine and I could watch a whole movie. Like that. I was, I like turned that. to my husband. And I was like, I, w- I hope they make, cause you, you were talking about, there's some merchandise for psycho Gorman. And I was like thinking of like, I remember, you remember when they were like, came out with like aliens action figures for like kids and stuff like that. It was like, yeah. Send in the Marines. You're like, they can't fucking watch this movie, but they can have the toys. Like, and it was also crazy that those timed out with alien three, <laughs> like of all the alien movies to have toys for, the like grim, miserable one with the most swears in it. The one so, where like, like Charles Dance is talking about like accidentally murdering his patient and all this stuff. And yeah, <laughs> like that's the one I remember. My parents like pre-screened it before letting me watch it, and like they just straight up said, "No, you can't watch this movie." Like, yeah, it's too intense. I saw it at a cottage you- in the middle of a snowstorm, and my parents couldn't get back to the cottage, so I was by myself, and we had rented it, and I watched it. And I was terrified by the time it was over. No one was there. And I was stuck by myself worrying about, for some reason, there was not likely to be xenomorphs in the, in cottage country in Ontario in the snow. It, that's what I was What's funny about. is like the scariest part of it for me as a kid was not even the alien, but just the idea of like getting yelled at by convicts that are <laughs> yeah. like swearing and being mean. Like just the idea of being Ripley in that scenario scared me so yeah. much. It's like, yeah. one, I don't want like grizzled, british dudes swearing at me i know <laughs> and i thought me. charles dudden was such a superhero in that because he just like was her sort of protector and he had these great monologues and like he was so cool oh, yeah. in that movie he was so great in that it just it is a movie that uh i've definitely grown to love as me as too. i've aged me too it has aged nicely it yeah. is a weird but interesting movie it is it's too bad fincher like won't kind of find any love for it but i guess it was just too tortured of experience for him he really like refuses to talk about it i gotta commend his commitment to just like not saying he just doesn't say a word about it and it's like like lance henrickson um is a friend and i've known lance for some time and you know that's a movie i kind of needled him about a lot just you know and lance was like you know, David just is one of those Savanti type filmmakers. Like he wanted to do the movie he wanted to make and they didn't let him. So he doesn't like it. It's simple as that. And I'm like, I can appreciate that. You know, I get that. Yeah. You know, and I guess Sigourney Weaver like did try to fight for him, but just the studio just wasn't having it. They wanted it a certain way. And what's well, it trick is like, what were they pushing for that would have been so good? You know, like, yeah. what did the, what, was the studio so committed to making like, why don't just let the filmmaker make the movie? And I wonder if later they were like, when he turned out that it was, you know, David Fincher ended up being David Fincher. If they were like, Oh, maybe we should have let him do his thing. (laughs) And I'm sure that's part of Fincher not talking about it too. Is like, he knows that it hurts them. Right. Like that he won't talk about it and that they, like they know they fucked up. And so him not talking about it is him constantly reminding them like, yeah, Hey, remember you guys really screwed up and didn't let me make my movie. Yeah. Like you're still paying for that. You said there's like toys for psycho gourmet. Like there's like action figures. Yeah. So if you go to uh, plasticmeatball.com, uh-huh. uh, they have uh, PG and Pandora action figures. Uh, wow. you can get. That's pretty fucking cool. So I can yeah, just go to that no, website they... and get myself a psycho gourmet action figure. 
Yes, I believe they're still available. I don't think they've sold out yet. Um, but yeah, they jumped on it like right away, like before the movie was even out. They were. Uh, we started a conversation with them uh, where they were uh, super keen to do like Kenner style, like yeah. really three and three quarters uh, size figures. So that's very cool. Yeah, they're pretty wicked. It's that that's definitely like a cool milestone to hit as a filmmaker is to be like, I made a thing that was that has toy. marginally iconic enough to get an action figure. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's super cool. Seven. Do you ever play with them? Uh, I mean, I have them on the shelf. I, I knocked them around a little bit. I, I mean, my, my way of playing with them was the toy commercial that we shot. Right. Uh, that was super fun. Uh, that was maybe like my favorite thing that I've shot in the past few years. <laughs> uh, it was just like, just shot it in my basement and built a little set for them and was walking these toys around, making them fight. And, That's awesome. uh, yeah. You know, one thing I was, I was thinking that I wanted to ask you about was, the scene where um, Mimi, uh, the actress, is what Nina Josie Hannah is that how you pronounce her name? Yes. Where she yep. where she talks to God and then breaks the cross. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I oh was yeah. Curious, Very was, was anyone cra- Was there anyone that that was incensed by that? Did you get any any feedback? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was definitely some feedback, and there was like people on production who were like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And like trying to pitch. <laughs> They're like pitching alternate versions of it. And I don't know. I just was like hard committed to this idea of like, no, I want the scene to be this. The scene needs to be a play on what's typically like a character's lowest moment in a movie where they're like confessing that they're scared and that they don't know what to do. And it's like supposed to be this like intense display of vulnerability. And I just, love the but idea that's not that character at all right so you need to subvert that yeah and that's what i mean is like the idea of sending the audience this way and then like taking the hardest turn you could possibly take ever and have her smash the cross and like basically challenge god and like say say that this monster is gonna come kill him is so entertaining to me and is so true to my personality and my opinions on, uh, you know, religion in general that I was like, I have to put this in here. I don't care. Yeah. And yeah. There's people like people were tweeting about how, like, I love this movie up until the little girl smashed the cross and then I had to shut it off. And it's like, <laughs> cool. Well, you're lost. Yeah. I don't care. Well, you're a humorous really... twerp anyway. So go watch something different. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, it's, not, it's funny too because that. like in a movie filled with so much you know kind of just wacky stuff and fun gags and you know like an inside out cop and like a little brain kid and like the thing that they of course would take exception to is like but you can't make a joke about god it's like come on well and, you made and a joke I feel about like that's everything a- in this movie why can't we make a joke about that yeah that's a common thing that i hear comedians talk about is like Oh, like you laugh at the nine eleven joke, but you don't laugh at the abortion joke. Yeah, it's right. like, like everybody's got these like lines that they've decided like this, all that other stuff's fine, but you can't joke about that. <laughs> thing. Totally. So yeah. to me, it's like it's such a non-conversation. Like yeah. people bring it up seriously, where they're like, "Oh, you shouldn't have done that." It's like, why? Like, what does it matter? 
Yeah. Also, has like lightning struck me down? Like, have like I'm still here. Yeah, you Sorry, can do guys. it. You can totally do it. Absolutely, you can do it. Yeah. You can have Psycho Garmin be gay, and you can have a little talking brain boy, and you can do all that stuff. It's your movie. Well, yeah. Also, like they don't seem to take issue with Psycho Garmin like killing a child at one point. No, that's like, okay. He blows up. Yeah, he blows up. Kid. That's fine. That's, okay. that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So, I mean, I'm more than happy to draw attention to people's uh, moral contradictions yeah. Yeah. in my movies, and I'm not going to stop. I mean, I, I told you that my favorite monster is Alistair, but I was curious, like, who is your... Do you have a favorite monster of the supporting monsters? I mean, it's always changing. I love all of them. As far as, like, a favorite, it constantly changes. Like, even just looking at the poster, I'm like, huh, I'm kind of feeling the adjudicator today. Yeah. Like, I like how weird Depends on your mood. I like... <laughs> Yeah, well, because there's variety. Like, there's so many different characters. What's in the that was one the whole that point. In, um, it's in the woods where all the, the uh, what are they called? The little squad of monsters that he fights in the woods. Oh, the, uh, his paladins obsidian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that has, like, a, a little face and at the end it's rolling around on the road or whatever. Oh, that's uh, Witchmaster. That one was fun. I was pretty fond yeah. of that design. Witchmaster's pretty great. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool one. And it was like, yeah, I do that thing too, where like, I, you know, where I'm sitting there watching the movie and there's all these cool monsters coming on. And I was like, oh, you could like, you know, Lucas out like they can have novelizations. You can get into like who these guys are, like what's their background. Like I immediately start thinking about that shit, not just from the standpoint of like that you can make money doing that, but just like that it's kind of cool to think about like, what's that guy's story? Who's that? I, cause I do that when I watch those movies. <laughs> well, and it's really satisfying to have made a movie where people are saying things like that. Right. Cause like how often does a genre movie come out where you're like, I need to know the stories of all these characters. Not very often. Like, and I think there needs to be more. And, and I don't think it's like, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything. I just feel like it's a style of filmmaking that needs to come back. And I want to see more. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like this kind of like, like stuffing your movie with shit. So then <laughs> you afterwards you're like i want to know what was the deal with that character yeah. and like, like like making a fully realized universe doesn't seem to be a thing in indie genre filmmaking no and you're I right you're right more of it yeah so i mean and i think yeah. like what better way to to have more of it than to make it yourself <laughs> yeah well and that's also the reality is like maybe don't uh like chase after getting like a 50 million dollar budget like figure out how to do this stuff the technology is there like you're able to make movies on cheap now yeah. so that's what i tell all kinds of like young up-and-coming filmmakers is where they're like where'd you get the money for your thing it's like you don't really get money until you have something to show like if you can't show that you're capable people aren't going to give you a budget. Yeah. And the only way to do that, to have a thing is to just go out and do it. Yeah. So get your friends together, get a camera, write a script and go shoot a thing. And don't do so, that thing of like, Oh, well it has to take place in one location with two actors. Like, fuck that. Like do whatever it is you like. That's what I'm constantly telling people. Don't anyone that gives you that advice. Do not listen to them. Like try to do the, the car chase. You'll end up doing a tricycle chase, but try it anyway. Like, just push it. Exactly. Push it, but also like be resourceful. Yeah. I think that's an important trait to have is like, if you have access to a cabin, yes, like maybe think up something that features that or like, yeah, you, you, a quarry or whatever. Like 
my first future, I had no money. It was all just like everything was by necessity. And like I was determined to do like the classic like car scene of a character just having dog. And I didn't want to just sit in the car. So like I called up Whites, William F. White. And I'm like, how do I do this with a car? <laughs> There's no way we can do that. So I just um, like we took some straps and strapped me to the hood of the car with a camera in my hand. And drove around like this Sweet. until a cop pulled us over and was like, this is illegal. You can't do this. Um, but we got the shot. Yeah. That's that. That's all that matters. That's how those stories always should end. Is like, we got the shot, though. Yeah. Our friend got arrested, but we got the shot. Yeah. And that's what you're supposed to do. You know, one, because you don't know any better. And two, because that's, I think that's the toll you pay to get started. You just have to do stupid shit. And yes. hopefully you survive it. Do stupid shit. Learn from the stupid shit. And then all those lessons get carried over uh, to the next thing that you do. Like, cause it's all experience based. The, the whole industry is experience. And if you don't go out and get the experience, you're not going to make it. That's right. Yeah. I read in entertainment weekly that you liked the movie virus, the Jamie Lee Curtis movie virus. I fucking love that movie. And I thought I was the only person in the world. No way. I love it. And, uh, nice. I, I don't know how to, reveal this without it coming out wrong but i am noodling on an idea that's a very virus premise because i really desperately want to make a movie with those kinds of monsters in it that movie hit yeah that movie hit a very specific way for me it's like i cannot get enough of biomechanical monster shit and it has some of my favorite monsters they're amazing they're the coolest monsters it's and just I don't know everything about that movie is so goofy '90s to me. Yeah, like yeah, that it's charming. Yeah, that's I, it. Uh, I watched Manborg to prepare to chat with you. You know, and it, like I hadn't seen Manborg. I'd seen quite a few of your films, but that was one I hadn't seen. And uh, I was there immediately while I was watching. I was like, he's got to be a full moon guy. <laughs> like it just. Well, he, well, Manborg is my most full moon right. thing. It's like just such a in the way that PG also is, but it's like really a mash of like a hundred different, like half forgotten memories of watching full moon movies. And there's like a lot of robot jokes in there too. So probably empire pictures as well. I mean, eliminators being the obvious one. I was thinking like eliminators, robot drugs, mandroid, a little bit of crash and burn, a little bit of robot wars. Like I'm just, there's all these movies that I was like, Oh, these are all kind of, you know, and maybe they weren't even influences, but I thought they probably were. You're forgetting a big one, which is Arena, which of course is a huge one for me. Like that movie is insane how much stuff they pack into that movie for like a low budget straight to video genre movie. Like it's, it's pretty it's insane. Bizarrely unseen movie though. So many people don't know it. And it's one every time I watch it, I go into it thinking like, oh, this is probably gonna like have the straight to video problem of like start strong then just has like an hour of nothing and then an okay (laughs) climax, but it's like pretty consistently entertaining. Like lots of stuff happens in it and there's lots of fun creatures and it's weird what a like proto deep space nine it is. Cause it's got the guy that plays gold Ducat. It's uh, got the guy that plays quark in it. It's also like all on a space station and about like kind of alien interactions and just like the politics of the station. Uh, but yeah, it's a super fun movie that, uh, always delivers when I watch it. So that was a big influence on man. Are you a metal storm fan? 
<laughs> I am. I'm more a fan of the trailer for Metal Storm. Yeah. Uh, which, if you haven't watched it recently, I recommend rewatching it. It has great narration. My one beef with Metal Storm that I want to point out is that uh, it's called The Destruction of Jared Sin, and he doesn't get destructed in the movie. Nor is there is... a Metal Storm. <laughs> that, that's also true. Yeah. So it's a very misleading title. The whole title is and... a great big misnomer, yeah. But it was yeah. kind of great because I actually have a 3D TV. To see it in proper 3D was pretty cool. Really? Yeah. When, they, when the guy with the metal arm sprays that goo at the camera <laughs> it's great i love see i i hated when 3d got real sophisticated my kind of 3d was like friday 13th 3d where shit's flying at the screen and like i i wanted gags coming at me i don't want like that subtle 3d i feel like we did have a brief resurgence of that with like that my bloody valentine 3d i like definitely that, that was definitely that kind of 3d where yeah. like uh yeah, it felt like coming at you all the time with nonsense. Yeah. But that's the kind of 3D that, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm like, that's what I want. I want the gags. I want the gimmicks. Yeah, I don't care about, yeah, subtle, subtle 3D seems like a contradiction. It's like the <laughs> totally. whole, whole point is like, they should be like, the camera's on the ground and a yo-yo is coming down at you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like for most horror fans, Friday 13th Part 3 is kind of the, where the ball stops, but you know, you've got, you know, Jaws 3D was great. Like, uh, you got, uh, Freddy exploding at the end of Freddy's dead. <laughs> the weird thing to me about that was though, like you're going to put all the, to all the trouble of having 3D removed, but only do it for like five minutes of the film. Yeah. And don't they like write it into the, yeah, they put of- on the glasses and they like absorb into them. And that's when the audience was cued to put on the, the glasses. Yeah. Five and six. I I would take Freddy's Dead over Dream Child any day, but six is still boring. I watched Dream Child like not that long ago because I my husband and I just like binged all of them, and oh yeah, what I had forgotten about it was how like inappropriately sort of political and like messagey it is. Like I- yes. There's, there's like, isn't there some weird abortion stuff? Yeah, and there's it? like eating disorder shit, like the gross scene. Yes. Like, I'm like, this is a lot for a, a Freddy movie, personally, but especially yeah. coming off of four, which was so silly. Yeah, it's like it tried to do the same kind of visuals as four, except make them not fun for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like somehow everything just felt kind of dirty and mean. It, it, it that's the thing with it is it it feels very mean it's not a nice movie it's just sort of a mean spirit yeah. kind of thing and yeah. yeah the fact it's like kind of centered around an unborn child that just it gets way too like plot heavy like it's so bogged down in its own mythology that there's no yeah like like they they just need to go back to basics of like kids go to sleep and have nightmares and there's a killer. That yeah, like one them. through four all have their strengths. Like one, of course, brilliant. Yeah. Part two is like, in my opinion, like the most underrated one because I just think Jack Shoulder's direction is really rock solid in that movie. And I was well, it's just a it's a weird ass movie. Every time I yeah. watch it, I'm blown away by how like offbeat and like unexpected it is like it just makes choices where i'm like okay they like you're coming off of the first movie and you're like this is the direction we should go of course everybody focuses on the kind of the 
coming out kind of story with the Mark Patton character. And, you know, that's unexpected in that film that they did that. Yeah. But, but if you just look at that movie from a filmmaking perspective, it's a really well-made movie. There's some great effects in it. Yeah. There's some, like it has a great, that hazy Los Angeles look that kind of recaptured that yes. first one. I just never thought Jack Shoulder got his credit for how well uh, made that film is. Well, I do think the sequence where, uh, Freddie like emerges from the main guy while his friend is like trapped in the room with him and can't get out. Like that is like a top level Freddie sequence. To oh, me. totally. And the music a, and like, yeah, it's great. Such a legitimate nightmare. And yeah. just having him get like stabbed through the door and like the parents are on the other side and seeing his claws come through. Like, I just feel like a lot of thought went into that sequence, which is something that even like going past that into like, like as much as I love like three and four and think they're fun, it's like I don't think any of them have that kind of horror. No, like I feel like that sequence is like the last scary Freddy thing. And that and I that, remember when I saw Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I think is really a neat movie and just so clever. And Wes just tried to do something really cool there, and you know, yeah. not all of it, it works perfectly, but there's a lot that does. But the bit where he pulls the babysitter onto the ceiling. Have you played skin the cat? Like that's he's creepy for that scene again. And I remember being like, yes. this is creepy Freddy again. This is when he's like well, his games that where he fucks with people are, are mean spirited and evil in the right way for Freddy. Yeah. Well, and I like him. I think it's like the first time you see him when he like pops out of the closet and yeah. say like me or something like that's a good shot of him. And I don't even, I don't love that makeup in that movie, but there are shots where it looks pretty cool and like yeah. he's lit properly. And this is coming off of like, like f three movies now where he's been overlit and like, not like they don't treat him like he's scary. anymore. It's like, no, he turned just, into like the Johnny Carson of horror. Like he was just making yeah. jokes and gags and one liners and, yeah and that's fine but i like that he tried to go back to basics so did i and i liked the whole you know bit of like wes being in it being himself robert gets to play himself like that was just a cool kind of gag to to try to do it's yeah thinking back on it it's such an insane angle to take in that era when nobody has ever done anything like that that's it and right to have, to have them play themselves like the idea of wes craven's like okay, I'm going to be in this movie and I'm going to have like an exposition heavy scene where I have lots of lines. Like, yeah, I would never, I would never write that for myself where it's like, <laughs> no. I have to, act, I have to act naturally and explain how uh psycho Gorman has come into the real world. And he's like an evil, like this evil entity that you have to stop. Like that's just, ugh. I didn't know Wes Craven well, but I knew him a little bit and, and he was a very, a fairly shy person was my impression of him in the time I knew him. And I don't heard, think that yeah. Wes was like probably super comfortable doing that. Like he probably wasn't like, this is my chance to be on camera. Like he wasn't that kind of guy. Like a weird choice. And he doesn't seem that comfortable in the scenes themselves. Like he's, his deliveries are so funny to me because they feel very like, I'm saying the lines right now. These are the words I have to say. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and like it just feels like he needs to get through it. So I admire that he like put himself in that position. I well, don't he has like Bob Shay in the movie and like the the gal like I can't remember yeah. her name, the lady that produces the films. Like they're all in it, like doing acting scenes. They don't just like yes. appear in like the background. They have to perform. 
I was like, this is a ballsy movie. Like just, yeah. and if you watch that movie, like in kind of in a, with in mind, like where Wes would go from there with scream and stuff, you can see the beginnings of him starting to look at the kinds of movies he's made and the genre in a certain way that he was trying to kind of break it down and analyze. And I think that's interesting to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And like understanding the culture around his own movies too. Like, I don't think that movie's totally successful, but I do. I think I appreciate it for what it's trying to do more than I actually enjoy it. Right. You know? Like, right. I, I think that it's a it, very interesting exercise and definitely like has its place in horror culture. Cause that's like the last gasp of like classic slasher stuff until we get, to, until we enter the scream era pretty much. So it's like an interesting time to analyze like most of the movies you've talked about enjoying were sort of more fantasy, you know, horror. Did, did, so were you kind of put off by like the more mean spirited stuff, you know, like invasion horror and stuff like that. Was that not your thing? I, I don't like stuff that's like just like brutal and mean for the sake of it. You know, like, like I give stuff like saw a pass because I feel like that, has its roots in a weird sort of fantasy world like it because it feels like like a tool or like nine inch nails video at times with its styles so like it feels removed from reality but like i don't know i don't chase movies like like funny games or anything like that or even like hostile which, which i didn't mind but like i just don't care about that kind of stuff like like horror to me is more about like confronting weird unknown things and like, like things that are like lurking beneath the surface of reality. And I feel like even something like Friday the 13th does tap into that a little bit with, and, or even uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just more like, uh, like not as overt with its iconography, but I think the concepts are there. Yeah. Um, but when you get into stuff where it's just, yeah, people being tortured and mutilated for, for no reason, there's no plot and no character and no story. I don't like when it feels like the director is like trying to rub your face in shit and being like, you like it though. You like watching people die. You get off on this shit. So eat it up, eat your horror slop. <laughs> Like that to me is just so like offensive because I think that there is artistry to the horror genre. Like, I think horror movies are like the hardest movies to make, like to make a scary movie that is also like off putting and being scary, but also engaging in its story and its characters is like, a it's an insane balance to pull off. And so for some people to see it as just like, just gore and suffering and that's all it is is so misguided to me and border borderline and not even borderline i think it is insulting like to real filmmakers like like a genre where you have yeah like kubrick's the shining or like carpenter's the thing like movies that are legitimate masterpieces that stand on their own even like going more into thriller territory thriller and air quotes like something like silence of the lambs which i still consider a horror movie like like or rosemary's baby even like these are all legitimate masterpieces and so for somebody to look at the genre with an overall blanket of like oh this is just like 
teenager stuff like wanting to shock and awe and and just be like just be mean and crazy like that to me is insulting and uh just totally inaccurate to what the genre is so i I don't like the supporting that kind of stuff no i don't either i mean it's like i'm okay with the idea that there's gonna be some horror movies where the director wants to really push you know the boundaries of what people are comfortable with like i remember seeing the movie inside have you ever seen that french film yeah well i mean that's different though because that's like there is artistry there and there's intention I watched that movie three times, I think, and by the second time, I was like, oh, it's a fairy tale. It's a witch, and there's a princess alone in her castle, and she's, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, there's this fairy tale kind of quality to that movie that kind of takes it out of real life, so the horrors in it feel like they're not quite real. Yes, yeah, and that's what I like, is when a horror movie has like that little bit of disconnect where it feels like yeah, there's like a, a, a fantasy, like a theatricality to, to it. So I don't feel like I'm just wallowing in misery. Human misery. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, like, I'm more than happy to like confront like heavy and hard ideas in a movie. I just think they have to be, that has to happen organically in, a, in an interesting and artful way and not just be like, uh, what are they called? Those like August underground movies, like yeah. something like that. Yeah. Where it's just like, it, it's like, what is even the point of this? And it just becomes a game of like, Oh, can you sit through it? Like you're not hardcore. If you can't sit through this thing. Once I started to get a little older, I had like found my horror tribe, you know what I mean? And there was this group of us that would get together and watch all these horror movies. And one day, one of my friends said, you know, tonight we're going to watch this one cannibal Holocaust. And I was like, Oh, okay. I did, you know, I, I I hadn't done a lot of cannibal movies. They didn't particularly upset me or anything, but like it just was. I'm, I liked creature and monster stuff more. I particularly like little creatures, which is why Full Moon, like Gremlins, Critters, all that kind of stuff was more my thing. Um, so we sit down to watch this movie, and like then I start to see them like killing animals for real, and I'm just like, this isn't fun for me. I don't want to watch this. Being scared can can and should be fun, in my opinion. Or or at least fake <laughs> you know what i mean you just like you get to set a camera down and, and kill an animal like that's not there's no art in that there's no cinema in that that's just that to me is the definition of like the negative context of exploitation filmmaking yes yeah totally and it does have that vibe of like rubbing your face yeah it's like you life. were talking about right it's that thing of like this is the, the fucked up shit you wanted well here you go like this is what you kids want like and i'm like yeah, no it isn't it's like no like you don't this does not make you smart by just presenting <laughs> to me the most awful shit i can imagine yeah it, like it's, it's the equivalent of like uh back in the day when uh the astron six guys would send me like murder videos and things and be like oh you should check this out it's super fucked up and it's like no like <laughs> yeah. that's not i don't want to see that I don't, yeah it's also like i don't want that to have any place in my brain they're telling me like, oh yeah, like it's haunting me. Like I'm still thinking about it. It's like, I don't want that. That sounds like a terrible no. experience. Like I want to leave a movie and I don't mind if it like, if it scared me, you know what I mean? In fact, it's great if it scares me in the right way. Like I remember going to see um, Hannibal, a movie, you know, not everybody likes, but oh, yeah. I love Hannibal. I think it's beautifully filmed. Like 
Ridley Scott's artistry as a filmmaker is oh, yeah. like that movie's so beautiful to look at. And I love the Grand Guignol kind of Hannibal Lecter who's like, you know, not even that subtle. He's just not that subtle anymore. But I loved all that. And I thought there was a place for it. And and he's kind of an anti-hero. And so I can, you know, cannibalism, that kind of stuff is fine. But like that movie tucks it all under behind artifice and, and cinema and art yeah. and has a reason for why these things are happening. Um and there's some, there's also kind of a knowing wink to the audience there that it's all kind of absurdist stuff. Yeah, totally. The theatricality of it is very apparent. And yeah. it's like, you, you know the ride that you're buying a ticket for. Yeah. And it's like, it, it very much weaves the hard, difficult things, the gruesomeness into some genuine artistry. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think, think of, you know, when, when he's got, um, the police detective t- strapped to the gurney and he's going to take him to, you know, when he got some pours him off the, and as he's about yeah. to push the gurney, he goes, okie dokie, here we go. And you're like, you know, this is not totally play. This is, this is sort of Vincent price style stuff, right? Like yeah. that's what price would have, how he would have done that. Well, it also helps that like you have a like prestige actor, like performing these scenes like again it's like there is real art and there is real skill like technical skill going into this thing and it's not just like people with a video camera like throwing blood around funny too when you think of some of the movies you know that when we were kids that people thought were so gory and you go back and you look at how well they were made in the fact that people have these memories of them that never occurred. Like I think of people telling me how gory Texas Chainsaw is. No, it's not. You hardly see anything in that movie. Yep. That's one. Everybody <laughs> like hyped up is like, this is the most gory movie you'll ever see. And there's like barely any blood. In yeah. It. Like I think there's a little bit when like a little bit splashes on Leatherface. I think when he's like chainsawing Franklin. Yeah. Which yeah. is in pitch black. So you hardly see anything. Yeah it's like also you watch that movie and it's just such a like perfectly executed nightmare. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Anybody who talks down about the text about Texas Chainsaw to me is like, does not understand movies because that movie like a technical masterpiece. I mean, in Halloween, the same, like, you know, John like caught so much shit in that movie for the violence. Sort of, you don't see anything. It's like everything happens in the dark and is, in silhouette and shadow there's it's not there's none of there's no gore in halloween yeah it's like if anything it's gonna get a harder rating just from the like minor amount of nudity that's yeah in the movie. right it's like more of that than there's violence like so. when bob is nailed to the door like you don't see anything you see it in silhouette the knife see it but there's no gore it's all uh, the, the stab is off screen and then it's in silhouette like there's no it's all sound design. Yeah. And, and Dean Cundy's incredible cinematography. Yeah. And like that. So that is uh, such a crucial component to these movies is having all, all the other elements that have to line up to really make something genuinely horrifying as opposed to just guts and shit. We were talking about, you know, Charlie Band's work earlier, the full moon stuff and Stuart Gordon, Ted Nicolau, I think is one of those kind of filmmakers, uh, Joe Dante, yeah. all these guys who, who made these movies with real love and heart. 
and we're and you know, they didn't win Oscars, and a lot of people probably don't know that. But here we are still talking about them thirty years later, right? Like, um, yeah, you know. And will that be the case for this stuff that just lands right on Netflix or even Shutter or whatever? Like, you know, where it's there and then it's just gone, and the new thing's there again. Like, I wonder how that's going to affect the retention in people's minds of these films. Well, I had a long talk about this with uh, an exec who was lamenting that uh, a certain streaming platform only wanted like a 24 style horror movies and was saying like, you're not going to make the next Freddy or the next Jason doing that. Like if, if every movie that comes out on your platform is a like intense meditation on grief, like <laughs> who, like who wants to revisit that and be like, I want to watch Grief Monster Five. Like, Grief Monster Five. <laughs> like, really? Like, you're not you're not creating a welcoming community by like only doing prestige genre stuff. No, like, and like you know, you need that stuff too. You know what I mean? I want that. I wanted. I want yeah. all of it though. I want you know. I want Krampus big like when Krampus to me is a yeah. special movie. I'll tell you why. When Krampus came out, I was like, they finally did. They made a big budget full moon movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. with big stars, yeah, big exactly. great creatures. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'd like but that's how, a really good point. It totally is a full moon movie. <laughs> totally. And but like how many of those do we get? Like for every but, Krampus, yeah. there's ten, you know, grief monsters. Yeah, but I agree. It's like you need variety. You need, like, and the horror genre is the best place for that. Like, that's, I think, what was so magical for me when I finally got over my fear of horror movies and walked into the horror section, just scanning the covers, like, I feel like that is, if if heaven is just, like, a perfect moment in your life, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be me as a kid looking at all the horror movie covers at Video Plus in Winnipeg and just being like, oh, my God, it's, like, it's all mine. I can yeah. I can go anywhere I want. I can go to like I can go to like serious like like you know Polanski like I'll watch Rosemary's Baby or I can watch uh fucking Uncle Sam or I can watch Maniac Cop. Yeah. Or I can watch Army of Darkness. Yeah. Like or I can watch Suspiria. Like just the like variety that the horror movie presented to me at that time. Like I we need to fight to bring that back. Like yeah. the world needs that now. Yeah. It's like, you know, I am still uh, a physical media collector and I am, you know, right now I'm surrounded by VHS, Blu-ray, DVDs, vinegar syndrome, all the boutique. I have all that stuff. I got toys yeah. it's, it's, and I keep all that stuff around me. And luckily my husband is like, thinks all that stuff's great too. He's not as much of a geek as me, but he loves all of that. And, you know, and I think of like, if I had to toss all that and be like, no, you don't need all that. You can just stream it in this box. I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want that. It, my right. brain doesn't work that way. I want to see it all and then go, Hey, I forgot yeah. about that. And then pull it off and throw it on. Like that's how my brain works. Yeah. I want to physically hold my tape of transfers. That's it. And, and I want to like, just like have the tactile quality of like, I'm holding this thing. Yeah. I'm reading the back cover. I'm like analyzing the art. Like, and it's I not think, some shitty like Photoshop face of some pretty person. Yeah. It's Tim Thomerson all airbrushed and holding a gun like a James Bond if he was Robocop. Yeah. 
I think it's something that uh, I really like leaned into with the release of PG and just all the like weird stuff around the movie that I released. Uh, like the you know music video, toy commercial, all the merchandise and stuff that we did. Like to me, all of that and the success of that proves that movies are more than just movies. Yeah, like they are yeah. like you're creating a universe. And part of that universe is the marketing of that universe. Yeah, yeah. And that was the thing that I don't think we realized how important it was at the time. But, like, I have so many buried memories of, like, watching a tape that I rented and then seeing, like, trailers for other movies and being like, oh, I got to check out that movie. Yeah. Or, like, a poster in a comic. Like, I have a vivid memory of seeing the poster for Halloween 6, I think. Uh, it's a curse of Michael Myers. Uh, yeah. But seeing that in like a Spider-Man comic and being like, that looks too scary for me. That's <laughs> terrifying. So, like, I think when you put stuff on streaming and it just becomes a thumbnail and you hit play and you watch it and there's no context, there's no world around it. I don't think it has the same effect, no matter how good the movie is. No. It's not the same thing. And I, I don't think, you know, I, I think it's, there's something about the kind of memory of how you came by a movie that creates yeah. an experience with, I think of like, there's two that I tell that I've talked to people about that, that are, that stick out so strong in my head. There was a jumbo video near me where I grew up in oh, yeah. saga. Yeah. And they had the, uh, their horse section was in like this little ca- cardboard castle with spider webs. And yep. the, one, you know, the jumbo video in Winnipeg had the same thing. Yeah. And you go and you get your free popcorn and you go and you, yep. and I remember like I had exhausted all the obvious choices, all the full moon movies, all the ones that had covers I thought looked cool. And then one day yeah. I was in there and there was this really like rickety kind of busted up. It was cracked and the artwork looked lame, and I was like, it was just some zombie movie, and I was like, I don't know, I was pretty young, probably 12, 10 or 12, and I was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I'll just give this a try, it's, hey, it says it's made by the dude that made Night of the Living Dead, might be pretty good, it was Dawn (laughs) of the Dead, and you know, I, there was no internet, I hadn't heard of it, I just, I was a Fango kid, but I still, for some reason, it had just gone over my head. And so I get home and I have this movie where I'm like, some sequel. And I, lead. I had no idea that it was what it is. I put this thing on. Of course, it was the chopped up Americanized version. And I just like, I'll never forget it. I just remember just being sitting there for uh, this movie, you know, with this and just being like riveted by this and thinking this is as good as yep. it gets. They don't make better movies than I still think that about that yep. movie. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I had a very similar experience with Dawn of the Dead, where like I didn't, I knew of the trilogy, and I knew like Night of the Living Dead as a kid, like you know, it has like such cultural significance and notoriety. Yeah, that like that was the one I put as being like the most important one, and I remember being like, all right, I'm going to tackle these three movies. I'm going to conquer my fear of, of like zombies because while I had penetrated the horror section those three were still kind of like off-putting to me. Right. So I watched night, loved it and then moved on to dawn. And I remember like sitting in my parents' basement, watching that movie for the first time and just being like, this is next level stuff. Yeah. Like this is, I, I believe I watched, watched it three times, like in the week that I had it. Cause it was a seven day rental. Yeah. And just like falling in love with it so hard. I feel like I should mention Romero as just like another influence because 
his style of filmmaking, the way that Dawn of the Dead was made is such a like dream idea for me of like, wouldn't it be awesome to just shoot a movie in a mall with like a bunch of people and just have free reign of the mall and do whatever you want. But the fact that like such a perfect movie came out. I know. It's so crazy. It's crazy too. Like when I watched the movie and it's like, you know, Savini's makeups and you're like, Oh, you can see like the seams, but I don't care. You know, like it doesn't matter. There is (laughs) a charm to, and it's a thing that's horror movies specifically can do the like theatricality of stuff that isn't fully convincing only adds to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just makes them better. It just, it, paints a weird picture it builds the world out in an unexpectedly interesting way yeah i remember like there was a a full movie when i was a kid that i loved called demonic toys um oh yeah and demonic toys the the baby doll baby oopsie daisy there's this part where i actually have a replica of that fucking thing um there's this part where it's crawling into a vent and its mouth gets caught on the vent and starts prying open and they basically the puppet is breaking on camera and they put it in the movie. And uh and I loved it because as a kid, I thought that was an intentional thing. I thought, oh, the puppet got it. Like they, what a clever shot. Like the, the puppet got they made it so that because shit like that would happen if you're a puppet. Your your little dress would get caught in things when you're crawling around. So I thought oh, they yeah. did it to sort of authenticate this puppet. Of course, that's not what happened. That's just probably the only shot they had, or something was wrong with the other take uh, or something. Yeah. But knowing, knowing how they shoot their movies, they probably were like, "This is it. That's the one you got. We're <laughs> yeah. moving on." Yeah, but it's like to shoot today, and it's weird to me because it's like, but I don't care. I still love the that movie, you know. And then I can go on the other hand, and this is like I know sort of a tiresome thing for a horror person to talk about, but like I'll go see some big budget thing whatever whatever the new thing is and it kind of washes over me in a way where i'm like you know i know people worked hard on it and uh you know i'm i don't hate it or i'm just kind of it i don't there's an indifference there that worries me but yet i'll have these fond memories of these little movies that were made you know on on the popcorn like the the coffee budget of the movies that i just talked about well yeah and like the question i bring up with the big modern movies is like where's the challenge like what I love about genre movies, uh, like up to a certain point uh, in film history, is like there's innovation where they're trying to figure out how to new th- do new things because you're always trying to trick the audience mm-hmm. into believing what they're seeing. So that's why that's why that era of effects, like in the '80s, is so exciting because they're inventing as they're doing it, and it's like we're about to do a thing. We're about to make a creature that's never been made before. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah. And so that is part of the thrill. And that is, I mean, I feel like it extends beyond just filmmaker types who like obsess over the behind the scenes making of stuff. I do think that that something about that energy, like bleeds into movies and regular moviegoers feel it. That vibe of like, of we are like trying to make magic and put it on screen. And maybe we don't have everything we need to do it, but we're going to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Whereas you see a thing now and it's like, well, we just threw money at the problem until it went away. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. Like I would love to see, and I've, (laughs) I'm always pitching this idea as unreasonable as it is, but like throw like James Cameron and 
Michael Bay and Sam Raimi and like all these guys who've like settled into giant movie making, throw them all on an island, give them each like five hundred thousand to a million dollars and go like make a movie. Yeah. And try to make a better movie than the other guy. And have them compete to just make like have them fighting for the audience's attention again. Have them be like yeah. hungry and desperate and like unlock that thing that they had when they were starting out. Like like I want James Cameron f- from like Terminator era. Uh, I think having challenges, having having problems that you have to figure out how to sidestep, like that is part of the storytelling process of filmmaking, in my opinion. Is like that is part of what gives your movie its flavor and its personality. Yeah. And so you don't have like I genuinely don't like the idea of having all the money and time and just like endlessly talking over like the same things in a story like over and over again being like oh we should like get like 10 more options on this character's wardrobe like <laughs> i, I want to and then we'll have like 10 more meetings about it too like that that's not what i got into this for i don't want to be in that position yeah uh i love the vibe of like here's a bunch of junk can you make this into something you have this much time going to romero um to pitch him on this movie i wanted him to write with me and produce for me and it was a horror western and uh and i i had there's a movie called ghost town i don't know if you've seen it and i think it's fucking brilliant i love it um I've never uh, actually seen it. I know that poster though. Yeah, iconic oh, it's poster. iconic. Yeah, it's a great poster. And I there the horror western scene was just so obviously an undermined thing that should work. And Bone Tomahawk yes. kind of did that a few years ago, and I liked it. But but I had this concept of wanting to do this movie. And it was about the four horsemen of the apocalypse coming to this western town, and like the it's the all of it's taking place during the apocalypse. It's, it was a crazy movie, and I pitched it to George. And he was like, and then what? And he was really into it. And at the end I said, and you know, and then I said, and this is how it ends. And I did it in a very animated kind of way. Like I started as a theater actor. So I get really animated when I get the pitch. <laughs> and so I gave him this pitch and he was like, fuck yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah, let's do it. And I loved that that was his criteria. It was that when I told him about it, he was like, that's a movie I'd want to see. So I'm in. And I was like, that's to me, like, I think that's how filmmakers have to think. If it's, you know, if it's a movie that you're like, yeah, that sounds okay, you know, in terms of if I was watching it, I guess I'd like that. It's probably not something you need to make. And also, like, think about, do do you want to be in that world for, like, a year? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's one thing if you're an actor, you know what I mean? You come in for a week or two, like you're a character actor. Or even a lead, you know, you're going to do it for six weeks. But when you're a director, like, sometimes you're living there, like, in pre and then you're in development like you can spend two or three years on one project yeah like so you really have to ask yourself like do i love this universe that much that i want to just sit in here and like be in the best and worst of this so yeah yeah, it really is a just a simple question of like is this a movie that i desperately want to see or not you were talking about pg how you got into like you know the toys and all that kind of stuff and i was thinking of like you know when you by the time you ended up doing leprechaun returns and it's like your your you know your take on a, a pre-existing franchise it was also fun because by the time i watched it i had started to get a sense of certain 
thematics in your work that were showing up. And like, I remember watching the bit where there's like the little tiny leprechauns and I was like, army of darkness, for sure. This is, this yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah, that, like was the smell, that was what was sold to me or got me sold on the, the project was the producer of sci-fi uh, that I was talking to. He was like, I want to make like a fun horror movie again, because nobody is making those. Like I want a wisecracking uh, like monster character that's killing off uh, teenagers. Like and nobody's doing that. So he, he also told like, he wanted like fun Raimi energy and, he name dropped army of darkness and I was like, okay, now I'm on board because yeah. if that's what we want, that's what I want to give with. it a go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was just the idea of like having that, the freedom to be absurd. And also like they gave me a lot of freedom in the effects side of things. Like, it's funny. They were very specific about like the script and we're very happy with where it was at. But as far as anything like gag related, I just had free reign. So I added a bunch of gags to the movie. And so that's why in the film, the leprechaun like really goes through a transformation. Like that was the thing that I wanted was like, I want to see him get wrecked the way like the Terminator gets wrecked, you know? So mm -hmm. that's why like his head gets knocked off. He gets impaled by a tree he rips his own face off he explodes uh like just all this stuff like get, he's on fire I, I really wanted to have that terminator vibe of like he's just like this relentless well thing. you already kind of in the design of him kind of went the bride of chucky where he looks uh, kind of fucked up right from the right from the go yeah. like he's well, and, and that's what i figured too is like because i when i went into it the first thing they told me was like warwick's not coming back Right. So I was like, okay, that's already like cutting us off at the knees a little bit. Yeah. So I started to think on how do we overcome that? What do we do to like get fans past that? Because as soon as this thing got announced, like that first trailer came out and it wasn't Warwick, I was getting people like DMs from people being like, why didn't Warwick come back? Like you really should have gotten Warwick back. Like people I don't know. Like just yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was very much a concern. So my logic was really mess him up and yeah. make him like more ghoulish as a, as a way to like kind of be true to the continuity. Cause he's been in this well for however many years, like 20 years or something, but then also just make him his own, like, cause they wanted it to be a continuation but to me, that also didn't really make sense because it's not Warwick. So I feel like it's not a true continuation. So it's like, make give him a look that's unique. So when you see this leprechaun, you know, like, oh, that's the leprechaun returns leprechaun. Was there ever the possibility of him being a different leprechaun or did you have to make it the same leprechaun? That That's what was in the script. That's what was handed to me. Okay. I mean, there was, uh, I feel like there was conversation and this is in no way like, fact or anything literally just spitballing ideas like there was talk of like if there was another one having warwick show up and revealing that that one was like an imposter or something okay like that lindens was actually a different leprechaun but uh yeah they were committed to it being the same character because they right. wanted that legacy that legacy thing of sure. like tied to the tied to the protagonist um 
which I like is fine, but it is a bit of a contradiction. It's like, well, you're not getting the actor back, but you want. Yeah, to it kind this. of doesn't make a ton of sense, but okay. No, no, it really doesn't. And that's, I mean, that's a good example of uh, when you're working with a studio and a network, like they want, they want more of the same thing, but different. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you even had, um, what's his name? Uh, Mark Holden. Is that his name from the first film? You had him back and he's, you know, I think if I'm not mistaken, other than Warwick, the only returning cast member of a Leprechaun movie to be in any of them. So that immediately yes. ties it back to the first one because he's very memorable in the first one. He's wonderful in it. Um, yeah. You know, he he's really uh, when I think of the first one, he, I have strong memories of, of really loving him in that in that film. He was well, Mark so, is great. He was super fun to work with. And they really like had to search to find him, too, because he was pretty much retired from acting at that point. Uh, and this movie brought him out of it, which was a nice feeling to feel like, Oh, he had a good enough experience that he like wanted to yeah. kind of come back to the genre community. Um, Cause we had a really great time. I had so much fun hanging out with them and hearing his fun story. Cause that's a guy he, he was like in the thick of it, like in the eighties, right. like just in and around, like all the big franchises, like his like Wee's big adventure stories and stuff is oh awesome. Like, just That's a really great. cool guy, super chill. Um, and yeah, it was great to have him back. Like to have some kind of tie to the original was really nice. How so. did you come about Lyndon Porco who took over for Warwick? How did he, did, did he just audition or how he did you come? Yeah, about? he just committed an audition. And like, I saw a bunch of people. I saw like, like there were some like bigger name actors uh, that kind of threw their hats into the ring for the role. But when I saw Lyndon's audition, I was like, this guy's got the energy. And I knew that that was going to be the big thing because Leprechaun as a character, I feel like the movie lives or dies on his performance and his uh, kind of like his, his energy throughout the film. Yeah. In the way that like, if you had like a lethargic Freddy, like you're not going to have a very good. <laughs> totally. and, but he, yeah. He had a theatricality. He had a like youthfulness to him that I really liked. He's, was, he, he, without sort of doing sort of an impersonation, he channels a very similar vibe that Warwick did in the original film. Well, that's what I liked was he was doing his own thing that still felt like in the world of Warwick's Leprechaun. Yeah, it totally. wasn't just an impression, and that's yeah. what was important to me. Is I wanted to feel like even though it's supposed to be the same guy, it's 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 still this is still Steve Kostansky's version of the Yeah, Leprechaun. right, right, yeah. And so yeah. I was very happy with that, and he was, like, super great to work with. And, like, I don't know, I just like having, like, I think he was, like, 21 or something at the time. Like, just having that oh, kind wow. of, like, youthful energy on a set is always great. And, like, he was just excited to be doing it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was It was a blast to make. It was crazy and hectic like every movie is. You shot like. it in South Africa, didn't you? Yeah, for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of sprung on me partway through prep. Uh, the producer called me. It, we were supposed to shoot it in Hamilton. And it was like, we're supposed to shoot in Hamilton in March, which instantly set off warning bells for me because I'm like, okay, so this movie takes place in the summer and it's going to be like March weather in, in Canada and Ontario. Yeah. 
great. Very so highly likely up. that there'll be snow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I knew something was up. And then the producer called me and was like, I got a great idea, Steve. Well, we shot this in South Africa. That's why I learned that they actually, that company like typically moves all of their productions to South Africa. And so was it I had a tax a, credit thing or was definitely a money thing. Like okay. yeah, the, yeah. the money, the budget stretched a lot further down there. Um, I mean, I don't feel like we would have been able to blow up a house in, in Hamilton, Hamilton or as we blew up that set, uh, down in Cape town. It was pretty awesome. So yeah, I think we stretched the dollar a lot more there and, uh, yeah, the crew is just super fun to work with. Uh, like everybody just really like brought their a game. It's like the most toys I've had on a set to play with. Too. Oh, for like sure. well, that's the, that's the upside, right? When you work with a studio or something is you get the toys. Yeah. 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 Like it was just great to have like a full time, like steady cam op yeah. through the whole shoot. Like it just made everything run so much smoother to be able to be like, Hey Chris, like just run over there with the camera and grab this insert and then grab this and pick up all these little pieces and he'd offer up stuff too. Like I would pitch to him like how we would stage the scene and he'd be like, Oh, well I can just float over here and start on this insert and pull back and go into our master and make things like find ways to make stuff dynamic. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a really fun experience. All, all things considered as crazy as it was. Great gore set pieces in it. I mean, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm like totally, I, I, I thought it was Bravo because I was just, I had, you know, very little expectation by part eight of a leprechaun movie or whatever it is yeah. of what, you know, but, it, it, but it was, you know, I like your work. So I was like, well, I'm sure it's Steve will do something unique with it. But, but the fact that you, you could make it feel fresh again, like, uh, you know, good job. That's not well, because really my mandate going into it was at the barest minimum, just make it feel like a nineties straight to video horror movie. Like yeah. I wanted to emulate my experience of watching Leprechaun three Back in the nineties, Trimark the movies. You remember the, the Trimark logo? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I feel like yeah, that was a staple of a lot of those movies. But yeah. like, uh, yeah, the one where he goes to Vegas. Uh, that was <laughs> yes. the that was the first one I saw like growing up, and I remember watching that and being like, "That's what the third one or the second one?" Yeah, it's the third one. Third one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to like emulate that vibe as much as possible. Like I wanted it to feel like you picked this tape up at Jumbo Video. Yeah, and we'll. Like brought it home and are watching it in like 1996. Do you remember a movie uh, called Dead Pit that had a cover on it with a zombie with red flashing yeah, eyes? Yeah, and you press you press the button and it would like wail and there'd be like the glowing eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could tell this story now. I stole that cover that box from a video store because I just I wanted it so badly and the guy wouldn't sell it to me, so I stole it. Oh Jesus. I know and there was because there was two really of them. Bad. There was that one, and then there was one called Metamorphosis. I think that yeah. did the same. Yeah, yeah. And I don't that. like. I was determined to have. It's the one time I've ever stole something. I felt terrible for it. I got away with it. Um, and uh, you know what? I fucking do it again because it was a cool cover. It was worth it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I do not judge. I also think one of the fun things in Leprechaun, of course, is these like little rhymes and stuff. Did you have a particular one of his little rhymes that was a favorite of yours? uh i mean i gotta be honest i think like all of the wordplay in that movie is pretty like groan inducing but i like to just 
I like to just lean into it. Like I actually went out of my way. Like anytime there's like a stupid pun or something, I would like tell the cast, like, like act like they said something like really profound or like anytime there's like a phrase that didn't make any sense. Like at the end of the movie, uh, I think Lila, like the Taylor's character says something to that, that guy that shows up uh, some, some to the effect of like, sometimes the best green footprint is no footprint. And like, that's such a dumb line to me. So I told Pepe, uh, like uh, the the other lead, I was like, when she says that, like, look at her and like nod, like that was like, like a really, like yeah, a like really, it really pulled the heartstring, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so I would, that was like what I did with any of those moments in the movie. I was like, instead of like trying to wink and be like, isn't this goofy? It's like, no, no, lean into thinking this is profound and we're making like high art. That's and, great. That's it's really smart. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I actually read it. I don't know if this is true, but is it true that Jennifer Aniston like tweeted or something, her support of the movie? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> she had nothing to do with it. I knew uh, she didn't do it, but like, so I read somewhere that she like on social media commented on it or something like that. I think on the IMDb, it in like the trivia, it says that she called me to congratulate me on the movie. Which, oh, is that what it says? Oh my god! Yeah, right. Okay. Which is insane. It would uh, be when I, cool if she had, I mean, but but yeah, it seems rather unlikely. She, she does not care. But, no, I can't see her being like, "Get me that guy's number. I have to congratulate him." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if any, yeah, this guy deserves my congratulations, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, when I first signed on to the project, I pointed out like, "Oh, so." Like Jennifer Aniston's character, like kind of shows up in a way, like in the script, like we hear her voice. Are you going to get her? And uh, the production manager guy at the time was like, "Oh, like we've reached out to her uh, representation. We reached out to her agent, and I was like, oh yeah, good luck with that.'" <laughs> and then when we were in post, like months after the fact, uh, they got this uh, like impersonator, basically, yeah, to do. Her and i thought you did a great job yeah it's i mean you know that's i'm 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 not shocked that she wasn't like raring to go for her to get back it's not quite like jamie lee picking up you know the torch and going back after michael myers or anything so it's uh yeah i know it's uh it would have been pretty awesome to have her show up but it's also Let's be real. It is a uh, Lionsgate and Sci-Fi Channel original <laughs> yeah. movie. I yeah. think we have to set, set the ceiling somewhere on that. Well, That's it's not- funny because, like, the so the first of your movies that I ever saw was The Void. That was the very first one of your films I saw. So I didn't, you That's know, a I, place to start. <laughs> I know because it's so not the kind of model of the what your films more are. You know, it's much more kind of dark and it's like serious. Well, and that's, it's still monsters and stuff but more serious i guess than most people would think of your work well, and that's very much because it was me and jeremy gillespie making it and i feel like it's way more jeremy's kind of like tone and vibe than mine like i wanted i don't get me wrong i wanted to make a movie like that but my instincts are not uh a lot of like what that movie's doing right like i if I was making that movie on my own, it probably would have had a lighter side to it. Uh, having said that, though, I do appreciate that like we hard committed to making a grim 
monster. I love because that was the, that was the challenge we gave ourselves. We were like, yeah. can we make a scary monster movie? Yeah, I love it. When I when I saw it, I was like, oh, this feels Prince of Darkness came into my head very quickly into watching it, which I love, and I think it's like the most underrated Carpenter movie. Um, oh, yeah, and, totally. Yeah, and I thought of that, and I thought of the thing, and I thought of there was a bit of Stuart Gordon there because of the Lovecraft creatures and stuff and the cults. Yep. Just, I don't know. I just, it's, there's a lot of these different disparate elements that kind of, that, that on paper wouldn't necessarily work together that do. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was curious, like, was there a part of you that was channeling Stuart Gordon a bit on that film? I'd say so. I'd say there's like a bit of a Stuart Gordon vibe on it. I mean, I wish it was shot more like a Stuart Gordon movie. I think out of necessity, it's like got a handheld vibe. Yeah. Uh, but I also think there are lots of scenes that are like, that feature like a large group of cast that feel very Stuart Gordon. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, it feels like, you know, and knowing that you're a Stuart Gordon fan, it feels like, uh, you know, if not a tribute, at least, as far as your work goes, something that that was that is Gordon esque. Oh yeah, well I appreciate that you uh, picked up on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I love Stuart's films, and Stuart was a was a good friend, and uh, you know, Stuart. I don't know if you ever got to meet Stuart, but notoriously, no, Stuart hated pretty much everything he saw. Like he'd go to a festival or a movie, and I'd say, "What do you think, Stuart? Terrible, garbage. I hate it." Like he just. <laughs> He didn't like he, he the nicest person in the world. Stuart was is, was the funniest guy, but he just didn't like most of the movies he saw. Like I showed him one of my yeah. own movies and said, "What'd you think?" Oh, it's you know, Cundy's lighting is beautiful. I really like some of your blocking. Great actors. Didn't really like the movie though. I was like, "Okay, tell me how you really feel, Stuart." Um, this is one of my own films. That's Stuart for you, but I think he would have liked it. You know, it was cool seeing you know Kenneth Welsh. Uh, God bless him. We just lost him, but wonderful actor. Art Hindle, like two two Canadian character actors that I have a lot of fondness for. It's fun to see them show up. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have some like legacy actors in there that that bring that gravitas. Like, if I had my way, I would make genres that are just populated with those types yeah. of guys because I feel like that would be such a fun set to be on. Like to have all these like classically trained, experienced actors that have so much experience under their belt. Like, I don't know. I just, I've like, I envy people who had the opportunities to work with like, like a Peter yeah. Cushing or a Christopher Donald Pleasance is like, like I talk about Donald Pleasance obsessively on this show, a hero of mine. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have worked with him. Like all those guys uh, are so awesome. And I feel like our staples of the horror genre and, it 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 was nice that for the void at least we were able to have a couple guys that brought that vibe right um, yeah totally it, you know so. i i can't not look at it and you know see art pop up and art was on the show and we talked about the void and uh oh, yeah um you know he was like why well, don't you know i wasn't in that for very long was i and i was like i don't know you you were in it you tell me but it was like he was like yeah it made me think you know it was fun to getting monsters and stuff it was it made me think of you know the brood and stuff i was like yeah like that's the the, the sort of tangentially that's of course what you see art hindle in a horror movie and you go you think of movies like black christmas the brood like arts in some iconic fucking horror yeah. movies um yeah well and it's nice to have that uh especially when you're making like an indie monster movie that you know it's almost like 
like a way of just adding some credibility yeah. to your project. Yeah. Like it's nice having that and being like, we have these guys from, you know, movies that you love and now they're showing up in our movies. So, and they're both great. And Kenneth you know, Welsh has been in so many amazing things and he's so fantastic. And I mean, he's not a huge part, but you know, he just, he grounds every scene he's in. He's, a little bit that he does yeah. is great. Uh, that's why I brought him back briefly uh, for some voice work in yeah. PG because he did. He just has such a good voice and can sell any line yeah. in the hand up. It's it's yeah. amazing. He can just take any dialogue and make it gold. He's a great actor. I think he will be missed. Um, and uh, I'm curious too when I'm watching a movie like that. I'm thinking like. You know, it's such a different vibe than your other films. Like when you watch it now, is it harder to go back to something like that for you than some of your other films where it, where it's more your rhythm? Like, is it does it feel like or are you like, ah, eh, this is more serious than I would want it to be? Like, how are, how is your relationship, I guess, in general to your own work? Do you do you not not like going back to it or? I typically don't like watching my right. own stuff because uh, all I see are mistakes and things I want to change and tweak and. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to sit through Manborg start to finish again because it just gives me too much anxiety <laughs> watching yeah. it. Because, uh, like, honestly, like, I made that movie basically as just, like, a video project for right. myself. I had no intention of, like, it having the success that it's had. Like, I that was in an era when I just made movies, like, for my friends and family and, you know, would play, like, locally maybe, and then that's it. So... Just the fact that it got as much exposure as it did was a bit of a shock to my system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if anything, I'm like starting to develop the George Lucas problem of like wanting to fix, go back and fix right. and change things, yeah. which I'm trying to steer into more like what are ways that I can expand that universe in fun ways where I like you know, can do updated versions of stuff. Like it would be fun to do an updated man board with all the like proper tools and toys that sure. I have now, uh, like sell yeah. the universe. Yeah. Have you, have you been on anything that got hijacked or where you felt like you were impeded in any way? I mean, all my movies have huge hurdles that I have to overcome and there's always personalities to navigate where I'm like finding myself questioning, like, can you even make a movie without like one crazy person trying to sink it all the time? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, there's always that guy, no matter what. Yeah. Um, I feel like it was probably the worst on the void. Okay. Uh, definitely had producer troubles on that one. Yeah. Um, Art mentioned I mean, that Art Handel mentions that in his interview. Okay, good. I'm yeah, glad. He does. Yeah. Um, but again, it's like we somehow pulled through like i'm more just impressed with that movie with me and jeremy being able to survive it and not murder either ourselves or each other <laughs> um, and yeah. it, it speaks to the team as well as like the rest of the team was so strong and committed that like you know it was great that we were able to pull it off despite uh people constantly throwing wrenches into the gears yeah of uh of the machine but yeah. uh yeah i mean i'm i'm I mean, some projects that I've gone into, I went into knowing, like, this is not going to be my thing. Right. So just do it. Buckle and, up and prepare for what it's going to be. Buckle up and, and accept what's coming. But also, like, when you see opportunities to sneak in a good thing, like, do it. 
Yeah. Because yeah. it only benefits it in the long run. But also right. don't like I don't I don't see the benefit of going like full fincher where it's like you're like picking fights every right. day and like yeah. like at a certain point like you're the train has left the station, you have to make a thing. Yeah. You signed yeah. on it's very like corporate of me to say, but it's like you're signed a contract and you're getting paid to make a thing. You are being hired to make a thing. You are not paying and, for and, and to do a job. Yeah. Well, and it is a job. And I think some filmmakers lose sight of that and they're consumed by the art. And yes, art is the most important part, but it doesn't matter how great you think your ideas are. If you can't like execute the thing, like, like it's a transaction, they're paying for something. And at the end, they give you money and then you give them a thing. Mm-hmm. If you're not giving mm-hmm. them back a thing, then you have failed in the transaction. Right. Yeah. So kind of like I think having some perspective on that is important and knowing. Yeah. Like yeah, if you're making a hundred million dollar movie for a studio and they want it a certain way, like to throw a tantrum and be like, nah, I want it this way. It's like, uh, is that your hundred million dollars? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah. whether you agree, and I'm not saying like, don't fight for quality. I feel like that's kind of a different thing. Like if you believe that the studio is doing something that Especially is, if you think they're de- going to derail their own movie and you're like, you don't yeah. want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I, it is a collaborative thing and there's give and take with that collaboration. I think some people don't get that. Like sometimes they have to give back a bit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, you know, thinking about psycho Gorman, which, you know, was, was, a, you know, a, definitely a, a big success for you, and you know, you won uh, some some Fango Chainsaw Awards with it, right? Yeah, which is awesome because, like, to me, I'm like, that's got to be like, I don't know, that's very that, validated. That's the kind of True. award that I would want to win. You know what I mean? Like a it's Fangoria nice. award. Well, because that's like the crowd you make these movies for. Exactly. Right? For yeah. them to appreciate it is validating. It feels like, oh, okay, I did something that like was a somehow contributed to the culture in some way, right. which is all you want to do is like keep that com- keep the genre conversation going. So, and yeah, you know, nice. um, sorry, what's the actor who plays PG at uh, Matthew? Matt Nineveh. Nineveh. Um, did you guys talk about sort of how to build this character so that he could have further adventures or did you build certain things into him to allow for there to be a bigger story with this guy? I mean, there is definitely like an idea that as soon as everybody signed off on it, there was talk immediately of like, Oh, like there should be more of these and the universe should expand in this way. And, and yeah, it's an ongoing conversation that we're still having. And there's definitely like pitches and stuff on the horizon to try and get more PG out there. But like, I'm also of the mindset that if it just ended with this movie, I'm also okay with that. Right. Like, because yeah. I think it would be way worse to make a shitty follow-up than not make anything at all. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you working on now? What's anything you can talk about in terms of what's what you're up to now, or what's coming up? I now? mean, I'm just bouncing around on effects stuff, like just paying the bills right now, uh, and yeah, stuck in the cool development cycle of writing things, uh, having meetings, doing pitches, 
So it's like nothing, unfortunately, that I can announce, but there is a lot of stuff in the works and maybe some more PG stuff is in there somewhere. Um, yeah, uh, the PG comic is coming out very soon, oh, which nice. is really exciting. And to go to your point about uh, expanding the universe in fun ways, uh, it's basically the premise of it is that it's the Alien Council sharing stories about their encounters with pg it like kind of takes place during the movie in a way like it's like pandora has left she hasn't reached earth yet so all the aliens are just waiting around and they're like oh this one time uh, this happened to me with pg and then we go into each character's story and there's a bunch of other random stories thrown into uh it's just like a free-for-all it's kind of like a heavy metal comic where it's like different art different writers it's like a real broad spectrum of uh like comic styles i'm really really excited for it because it's like so cool to see these characters realized in comic book form it just it's like the action figures it's just insane to see these things like spiced up in the way that these artists are doing it i love seeing different seeing different renditions of PG is so exciting to me because I like have my issues with the design and I like seeing other people like rework it a little bit because I'm actually looking at it going like, okay, so next time maybe I'll do what this guy did with the shoulder pads and I'll do what this guy did like with his like brow ridges and stuff. So yeah, it's like fun for, it's a fun like kind of R and D for me on uh, creature design stuff. Have you ever seen transfers three? Oh yeah. Remember Shark? That's the one with Yeah, Shark. Yeah. That's Where who I thought of when I saw PG. I and I'm sure that wasn't like an inspiration thing, but that was I don't no, know he why. Was. Oh, was he? No, he was. The trailer for Transers 3 might actually be one of the most watched pieces of media uh that I've ever seen. Like I've I watched there's a period where I was watching that trailer like twice a day. I don't know yeah. why. I just I love really that movie. It. I think Transfers Three is a blast. I think it's great. I love that it's like uh, it's it it has like a slightly more serious quality to it that actually works. And Corny Joyner, who directed it, I think did a kick ass job of doing kind of a side noir. I think that's when the Transfers movies like actually it all lines up and works. Yeah, I feel like yeah because totally. I I was as much as I like them, I don't really feel like the premise is like super clear even in those movies. Like I find it kind of muddled. So in three, when they just go like a little bonkers with it and yeah, have shark like randomly just, here's a monster man. Like that's he's when it great. gets super. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. He's a great character. That's so funny. Just, I don't know. I'm, I, I was, it was when I saw the PG for the first time, like the, just the character, not even the movie. I kept going, what is this? What does the design this remind me of? And then I like I just pieced it together randomly. I was like, oh, it reminds me of Shark from Transfers. Yeah, it's there. Shark has a place in my brain because I remember watching the video zone about uh Transfers 3 and Kane B talking about the mask for it. Because it was just like a pullover latex mask. It cannot uh, be overstated how important video zone was for a lot of young filmmakers at the yep. time. Like because there was no DVD special features and shit. Like there was no websites. There was just video zone. And like when I had Charlie well, Brown on the show, I told him about that. <laughs> 
Well, it was a big, he was ahead of his time with the behind the scenes stuff. And that's why the, I think a few of the features on the PG Blu-ray are done kind of in the style of uh, Video Zone. Even our, we did like a presentation at Cannes uh, to try and raise more funds. And it was, I think we even used like the Video Zone theme. And oh, like, that's awesome. Did that, did that like shitty, like whatever that video Static effect thing. The multicolored stag, yeah, we yeah. did that. It was, yeah, it yeah. was like for like five people in the audience who appreciate it. Everybody Again, else like, I would have been, this? I would have been one of five. Then, yeah, man. I would have been like video song. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the whole thing. Oh yeah, it's That's great. great. Steve, thanks so much, man, for coming on and chatting with me about your films and stuff. I really enjoyed it. It's fun. I'm just, like, you're we're like minded souls, I think, in terms of. A lot of the movies that I like that I thought, oh, yeah. you know, I, he seemed to be a, we're on the same page with some of these films. So, oh, 100%. I mean, I am jealous of your transfers poster and your Big Trouble in Little China poster. So, yeah, that's it. You know, that the brain in Big Trouble is kind of like your Alistair, the little floating head guy. That's true. Yeah, that like uh, Beholder guy. He's pretty yeah, good. he's great. He's fantastic. And I'll dig out that Empire box there for you. Yeah, if you can find it and you got one to spare, I will gladly buy it off you. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I can. I think I know where it is actually. Um, well, I hope you'll come back when you've got something new to talk about and chat with us about it, and, and come and, and come on again, and we can talk some more about Full Moon and um, you know whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, for sure, man. Sounds right. good. Awesome, thanks, buddy. You have been listening to Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane and produced by Cindy McLean. Production editing and sound design provided by Blaine Swanson and One House Studio. Video production and editing generously created by Matt Handy. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. You're currently listening to supervising producer Jason Hill. For exclusive bonus content, giveaways, and contests, be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account at www.patreon.com forward slash spillyourguts. All one word. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by our supporters and listeners like you. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of Kevin's conversations with some of horror culture's titans of terror, as well as the many hours of bonus content, consider subscribing to our channel. But that's not the only way you can support what we do. If you like what you hear and you want more, get the word out to your friends, your family, random people on the street, retail cashiers, unattended babies, the hot guy you work with, on-duty members of law enforcement, anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for the guts and gore of horror. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.